0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Church. It's good to be gathered together this morning. Those of you joining us online, all of you here in person, I invite you to allow these words of Psalm chapter 96 to wash over you and allow them to lead us into our time of worship this morning. Hear these words from Psalm chapter 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound in all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Let's stand and sing together, holy, holy, holy.
1: Oh
2: invite you to pray with your eyes open, taking in the visuals on the screen while I pray on our behalf, and then join in unison when you see the words on the screen. Let's pray together. Creator God, whose spirit moved over the face of the waters, who gathers the seas into their places and directs the courses of the rivers, who sends rain upon the earth that it should bring forth life, we praise you for the gift of water. Creator God, who lifted up the mountains and formed the dry land, whose hands shaped us out of the dust of the earth, who formed the soils and made this earth a place of beauty and abundance, we give you thanks for the gift of soil. Creator God, who set the stars in their places and directs the courses of the planets, who robed this earth with a thin garment of air, making it a haven of beauty and life, who breathed into each of us the breath of life. We thank you for the gift of air. Create in us a sense of wonder and delight in these gifts of water, soil, and air all around us, yet so often taken for granted. They are evidence of your power and love and constant presence with us. May we receive them with gratitude, care for them with love, and generously share them with all your creatures to the honor and glory of your holy name. Always merciful God, we also confess that we frequently ignore your presence with us, either willingly or from busy distraction. You invite us to live lives of prayer without ceasing. You welcome us into intentional awareness and communication with you. You tell us the best way to live, walking in step with your spirit, at work in, through, and around us. Forgive us for our inattention to you. May our actual lives exhale and inhale your name. Help us to see you, to hear you, to trust both your subtle and not-so-subtle presence, and to cooperate with that presence in this world. May we delight in your will and walk in your ways by the power of your Spirit and for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray all these things. Amen.
3: Thank you to the Bell Choir Ensemble. Friends, it is one of our formational habits on a Sunday morning to regularly engage the practice of passing the peace with one another. We do so for at least two reasons. One of them is the chance to meet and greet one another, an old friend, or possibly a new one. And as you might suspect, this is loved by the experts, uh, the extroverts among us, and dreaded by the introverts among us. But we do so also for a second reason, and that is to name a gospel truth, something that's true no matter how we feel about it, namely that peace has been given to us. It is a gift, and is it a responsibility for us to steward it with one another? So I invite you this morning to hear the good news, that it is because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection that we have peace with God and peace with one another. So I invite you to share a sign of that peace with people around you this morning. You can stay seated, but simply turn, make eye contact, and share a sign of that peace. The peace of Christ be with you. The extroverts do it anyways, right? (laughs) Hey, the Lord be with you. My name is Ross Dielman, one of the pastors here at Fellowship Church, where together our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you happen to be new in our midst and would like to make yourself more known, we have connection cards available. Uh, At our welcome desk out back, you could also simply greet others that are in this congregation already and make yourself known. We'd love to welcome you into our midst uh, and get you onto mailing lists and other things as you are comfortable. Uh, We also have in our bulletin the opportunity to sign up for our Discover Fellowship class. If you'd like to consider the possibility of joining in membership or simply learn more about the church here, you can sign up with the QR code there. And also, if you are a student in our midst and would like to enter into what we call a confirmation process uh, where you kind of go public Uh, uh, as a teenager saying, I want to name Jesus as my Lord and Savior and teacher and friend, we have a process called confirmation. You can sign up for that. Uh, And Bryce is in the back even. If you're looking for someone to talk to in person, find Bryce and talk with him about that. Uh, A few celebrations for our life together. We have on campus, I think in this service as well, Ken Ryan. are you in this service still? You moved on me. There he is. Very good. Standing in the back. uh, Former pastor here for 20-ish years. And we're glad to welcome Ken back on campus. He'll be here this Sunday and next as well. And if you'd like to catch him after the service and say hello, or if you're online and want to catch him next week, please do so. He'd love to meet and greet with you as well. Uh, In addition, we have the opportunity not only to celebrate kind of our heritage and to bless God for those who have helped shape this community to be what it is today, we also have the opportunity to celebrate what's happened most recently, which is last week, Pastor Tierra was installed officially here. So what's been true already is now true officially in our midst, and we thank God for that. She's joining alongside Nate and I, and we apologize for that in terms of... (laughs) Sorry, you're stuck now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, Hey, next week's Sunday is a great Sunday, and we invite you to come back and invite friends as well. It is October 2, World Communion Sunday, and so we will be celebrating here, but celebrating alongside churches all around the world. We will come to the Lord's table to celebrate in the sacrament together, but then we will also go to what we call table-to-table. We'll move over to the gym space, and we'll have some global foods authentically prepared by our very own Folks, uh, African food, Asian food, Dutch food, Latino food, and even hot dogs for the kids, just in case. (laughs) Uh, You're welcome to join us. It's also a day that we call Parish Sunday, where you'll have an opportunity to get to know kind of the way that we network and care for one another and the elders who kind of oversee your region and are there to care and connect with you. That'll also be next week, Sunday, and you can learn more about that uh, as it happens. At this point, I'd like to invite our kids, ages three through eighth grade, you can sneak out to your various discipleship opportunities, and we will continue in here in worship with a new song called Vapor, in which the band will lead us, and you're invited to simply take it in prayerfully, or if you know it, you can sing alongside, but you don't have to. We continue in worship with this song.
4: Taunts the hotel
3: Friends, today I have the great honor of introducing to you our guest preacher of the day who comes to us from Western Theological Seminary, one of our own mission partners right in our own backyard or us in theirs, depending on how you look at it. We're glad to have the seminary so nearby. Uh, coming to us is a person who is very highly recommended. In fact, I was told that this person is most sought after at the seminary uh, as a professor and as a guest in other places. I've already found this person to be wonderfully relational and a great presence, as I think you will soon find out as he soon preaches. And we're eager to hear the word of the Lord today from the Reverend Dr. Wynn Collier. Uh, he's been a pastor for 25 years in other states and has Uh, Recently, of course, come to West Michigan, where he serves at Western Seminary as the director of the Eugene Peterson Center and as the associate professor of pastoral theology and Christian imagination. What a great title, huh? Uh, He's written many books, uh, one of which might have been on your radar recently. Uh, It is the authorized biography of Eugene Peterson called A Burning in My Bones. And Eugene Peterson, of course, is a much-loved pastor to pastors, including me, this is not uh, uh, Wynne's first book, however. In fact, he wrote one long ago when he was eight. Uh, he had just recently been given the gift of a Sanger typewriter, and he wrote uh, his first book called My Life, an autobiography. And uh, after two paragraphs, he ran out of material. <laughs> uh Let me give you a couple words that have come uh, directly from him uh, that capture who he is as a person. So these are his words, not mine. He says, if you want to cut to the core of who I am, I'd say this. I'm husband to the beautiful and graceful Miska, who's near him. Father to Wyatt, who's here as well, and Seth, who is at Hope College right now. I'm friend to a few misty-eyed men and a few courageous women. I prefer what's slow over what's efficient. I'm suspicious of anyone who's cocksure. I'm weary of all the bullhorns. I'm partial to things that are worn and a bit ragged. I think the truth is best told slant. I believe in hope. I hope you are as eager as I am to hear the word of the Lord through Win Collier this morning. Would you welcome him to the pulpit this morning? Thanks,
5: Grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to each of you. Thank you for not leaving me stranded up here. I am grateful to be with y'all this morning, um, and particularly just to honor the long history and partnership between Western Seminary and Fellowship Church. Um, I think seminaries are important I happen to work at one but uh the church is real where the real center of the action is and we are here to serve you so thank you for allowing us um, the capacity and the way to do that Lord we ask that you would open our eyes so we could see you'd open our ears so we could hear You'd open our mind and our heart so we can understand, so we will turn to you and live. Amen. I want to read a section of a story that is super familiar to you. It's from Exodus chapter 3. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And then he said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that as I who have sent you, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers, has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What will I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The word of the Lord. God is a consuming fire, and this is really good news. We are desperate for a God who burns. Decades before this story, you might remember that Pharaoh ordered all the Hebrew male babies murdered, and desperate, Moses' mother sticks him in a basket in the river, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him and takes him home and raises him as his own, but then Pharaoh ends up murdering himself and killing one of the slave masters who was hurting one of his Hebrew brothers, and Moses flees for his life, so Moses has lost two families. Two homes. And Moses has run as far as he could go. He ran all the way to Midian. He married Zipporah. And he began tending to his father-in-law Jethro's cattle. But the scripture wants to tell us that Moses is still running. He's gone even farther. Exodus says that Moses led his flock beyond the wilderness to the far side of the wilderness as far as he could get into a desolate place with rock and grass with wolves and jackals he led his flock beyond the customary grazing ground that they were familiar with into unfamiliar territory wilderness is of course the wild place Wilderness is where we are alone. Where we've been stripped of comforts and most all of the resources that we have amassed to help us to manage and maneuver our life. He says that this is the Mount Horeb, which is the Mount of God. It's later would be called Mount Sinai. Mount Horeb means desolate or desolation. Desolation. But it's also the place where God meets us. This is the place where God later, burning amid another kind of fire, would give the Ten Commandments and would thunder his covenant over Israel. But right now, Moses is just lost and wondering. Isn't it remarkable how many of the Bible's stories lead us into the wilderness? But that probably feels familiar to us because most of our stories eventually at some point land in the wilderness. And Moses is there and maybe he thought he was so far that even God couldn't find him. But there's no place so far as that. A thorn bush bursts into flames. In this dry and arid climate, you think that it would just immediately evaporate but it doesn't. And Moses does just the simplest thing, the tiniest little move. Moses, the scripture says, just turns to look. The way the NRSV says it is Moses says, I must turn aside. In some rabbinic tradition, this is the hinge of Moses' entire story. It's this simple willingness. To look and to see for a moment, to consider what's there, to consider what God might be up to. It's him turning his neck in opposition to what the scripture often describes those of us who are unwilling to turn, that we have a stiff neck. So he pauses and looks, and maybe we think that there's nothing much that we have. To do with god right now maybe we think there's no, nothing much that we have to offer god right now but i wonder if if we could just turn our neck a little could we be willing to do that to just turn and look of course after we turn and look then we have to grapple with what we see what we hear so I'm, I'm newish to Holland, so can we talk about Holland just for a second? Before we moved here, I was um, warned with great gravity about the winters. And I'll, I'll give it to you, you guys, you guys do winters legit, y'all you know, don't play around. But I actually love winters, I think it's great, I, I'm, I'm of the mind if you're gonna do weather, just go all in, don't mess around. What I was completely unprepared for, though, was summer construction (laughs) and the traffic that ensues. So last week, driving just from from the seminary to CVS on Douglas took me 30 minutes. Okay, this is not New York City, people. That's ridiculous. And um, I don't like, you know, I don't like waiting traffic any more than anybody else does. But what has really annoyed me is as we get over into the the long line uh, that's like four miles long um, and you're waiting patiently and then all the cars are flying past you. And what I hear in the cabin of my 2004 Honda Pilot is, screw you, I don't care about you, I just wanna move past and get in front of you. And I'm fuming. And last week, because I needed help with my sanctification, I called one of my friends who happens to be here this morning, but I'm not going to name him, and because he has to drive the same way home for me, so I thought he could commiserate with me, and I'm calling him as I'm just sitting there, not moving, and I'm telling him what's happened and how I'm feeling, and I said, I can't believe these people are just like, they don't even care, and they're just flying past. It's so rude, and he goes, when? I'm one of those people. (laughs) And I was genuinely shocked. I thought, I said, this is not like you at all you're not you're not selfish and he said when what's selfish is that everyone is backing up in this one have you ever heard of the zipper merge i was like the zipper merge and i argued with him for a few minutes and then when i got home i looked it up online and it's real Does, do y'all do people here do y'all know is this just new to me the zipper merge apparently civilized cities have been doing it for a long time and And apparently, the way the research says, which I had no idea about, is that everybody should be going in the open lanes as far as you can, and when you get to the end, everyone takes turns zippering in, one, two, three, one, two, three, and that actually, in the long run, there are fewer accidents, there's less road road rage, people move much faster, and I don't know what to do. The next day at work, I told him, I don't know what to do with this information. Because now, once you've seen it, you can't not see it, and yet, Maybe I'm, I'm not from the Midwest, but maybe I am Michigan nice, and I, I don't want to be flying past doing the right thing and imagine every person there in line is thinking about me the way I have been for the past month, and then I'm that person. So now I'm just confessing to you that I'm grappling with what to do about the zipper merge. All of us, whenever we encounter something that's new, we encounter something that... Unnerves something that changes our perspective It doesn't fit with the way we viewed the world we have to decide what we're going to do about it and Moses is in a moment like that when God speaks from the burning bush who would have ever expected this he turns, there's a voice calling out and the voice calls his name the voice from the burning bush says his name Moses, Moses, and what do you do when God's voice calls your name? He was in the desert, he'd been disconnected from this story for so very long, and God calls his name, and he says the only thing that could make sense, I'm here don't you just love the simplicity of Moses' posture with God? All he does is turn his neck, and all he does is just say the simplest thing I'm here. Not what do you want me to do? Not how have I been wrong? Not how are you correcting me? But I'm here. Does it remind you of another story? A little boy named Samuel, God calls out to him, and he says the same words I'm here. Maybe you think that you have nothing to offer God today. Can you just say, I'm here? Can you just be here? And the voice says, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I mean, surely this is a sign of reverence. What else do you do when you encounter the holy? But Gregory of Nyssa thought there was some more symbolism happening here. That the sandals were made of the dead skin of dead animals, and to take off to take off the sandal was to to brush away whatever was dead and lifeless in us. It was to come awake to God. It was to remove whatever separated us from this bare encounter with the holy. And what would those bare feet of Moses feel as he was standing on that holy ground? Well, he was close enough to the fire that I would imagine there was some. Some of that heat radiating through the ground literally the heat of god coming through his feet and filling his body miska is a spiritual director and a yoga teacher which means she helps me pay attention to god which i desperately need and sometimes she will say when you're too much in your head you need to breathe deep you need to take off your shoes and go out and stand in the grass fill the fill the ground and even though i don't exactly understand that I generally trust that my wife has some wisdom to offer me. And so on some occasions, I'm an obedient husband, and I'll take off my shoes, and I'll walk, and I'll stand on the grass. And I remember the sound and the words of the psalm that says that literally the earth is filled with the glory of God. This is not something that I can comprehend. This is not something that I can explain. But I believe in the depths of my being in that moment in a word that is mysterious to me and encountering me that literally i am standing on top of and the very love and life of god is holding me up and maybe that was a small bit of what moses was encountering in that moment as the radiant heat of god was coming into his body moses hid his face well, of course he did when you stand before the almighty if we don't have a little bit of shaky knees, something might be wrong with us. It's impossible to encounter the God who burns and not have a little bit of trembling. Sometimes it's a terrifying thing to be found by God. But this story was far bigger than Moses. God just wasn't just finding and rescuing Moses in the wilderness, God was finding and rescuing an entire nation. I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, this voice burning in the fire said. God tells Moses, I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come to deliver them. people's suffering is what lies behind this entire story. It's not just about Moses. Whenever God speaks these burning, fiery words, whenever God appears to radiate his heat into us, it is always for the love of the world. Before the section that we read this morning, this is what we would have heard in chapter 2. A long time after Moses ran off to Midian, the king of Egypt died the Israelites were groaning under the bondage and cried. Their shriek for help from the bondage rose up to God. God heard their mourning, and God remembered his covenant. There's four words for Israel's tears here. Groaning, crying, shrieking moaning and then when god responds it's as if god wants to meet each sorrow and each tear with god's own fiery love and he says that there's four different things in the passage that we read that he is going to do that he has done he says that he sees that he's heard that he's concerned it has come down to rescue god meets our every tear god meets our every sorrow perhaps your tears and your sorrow and your despair seem too strong perhaps it seems that god is nowhere to be found The story of God over and over and over again in Scripture is that God meets us in precisely that place. This is the God of fire who sees our pain. The God of holy fire who will not look away. This is the God who knows the pain of the world. This is why we actually need a god who burns in the desert the god before whom the only sane thing to do is to take off our shoes and to hide our face we are before the holy because we need a god powerful enough to confront pharaohs we need a god strong enough to take on evil and despair and cancer in a world so twisted in lies that it's hard to make sense of anything, and it's even harder to imagine that anything could ever possibly be different. And Moses argues with God. He resists the fire. He resists the call. Who am I? What if they don't believe me? What are the questions that bind us? to push us away from the fiery love of God. The Hebrew Midrash says that Moses argued with God for seven days. I don't know if that's true or not, but I know myself enough to know it sounds likely. Moses was in his own small story, but God wanted to call him into a much larger story. If the whole world seems a wilderness, and doesn't the whole world sometimes seem like a wilderness, if the whole world seems a wilderness, then we long for the whole world to be aflame with the illuminating, healing fire of God. The remarkable thing about this story is that Hebrews tells us that God is a consuming fire. And yet the most poignant thing about this moment is that God burns in the fire and yet it doesn't burn up. God's fire consumes but it does not destroy. It consumes to burn away everything that is false. Everything that is unjust, everything of despair, everything that feels lost, the consuming fire of God is the one burning flame at the heart of the universe that actually sustains. We need a God who finds us in the wilderness. We need a God who consumes consumes our fear and despair and lethargy, consumes our resistance, a God who consumes everything within us that is opposed to life. And then this same God ignites fresh fire and courage and hope in us, the very fire of the Spirit of God, consumed by the fire of love, this is the God we require if we are to live. This is the God we require if the world is to be healed. And this is the God who comes to us in Jesus. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.
0: In our response this morning to how the Spirit of God is speaking to our hearts, I invite you to stand and we will sing of this love of, of the God that seeks after us no matter where
2: we are.
4: Before I spoke a word, you were singing, Lord.
5: Feel the freedom to do it, would you put your hands in the posture of receiving? Dear friends, you are God's beloved. And may you know that your God will find you, even in the desert. And may you encounter the flame of holy love. May the God of fire burn away your fear and your despair, and may you be consumed by God's fire and live. In the name of the Father, and the
1: Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.